Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on moviehousememories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. Welcome to Movie House Concessions on the MHN Podcast Network, where each episode we pull a random film from the display case to see if it tastes as fresh as the day it was released. And once again, this is another Cinema Day comic book edition. I'm Patrick. And I am Chad. And this month we're reviewing 1995's Tank Girl with Lori Petty and Ice-T and Malcolm McDowell. I don't think any of them are exceptionally proud of this particular film. (laughs) But before I digress too much, let me give you a summary of what Tank Girl is all about. In the distant future of 2033, the Earth has been decimated by a comet striking the planet. The world is essentially devoid of water after a decade-long drought, which means it's going to hit us next year, uh, which makes water the most precious item on the Earth. Kesley controls the powerful Water and Power Corporation that strives to obtain all the water on the world by any means necessary, including by violence. However, Water and Power's efforts are constantly being thwarted by an unknown group of marauders known as the Rippers. Rebecca Buck is an extrovert woman who lives in a commune in the Australian outback with her boyfriend Richard and a young girl named Sam. The commune possesses the last water well in Australia, not controlled by water and power. One night, the commune is attacked by water and power foot soldiers while Rebecca is on guard duty. Rebecca escapes being raped by one of the foot soldiers and runs back to the house to save her friends. She arrives just in time to see Richard killed and Sam captured. The soldiers capture Rebecca as well and take her and Sam back to the water and power headquarters. Kesley sees a use for Rebecca and begins to torture her in the hopes that she will agree to cooperate with Water and Power's demands. Jet Girl, and that's the name of the character literally, is a jet mechanic who works for Water and Power repairing their air vehicles. Jet Girl dreams of escaping Water and Power but has given up on the dream until Rebecca arrives. Jet Girl tries to convince Rebecca to give in to her captors, but the headstrong Rebecca refuses. Kesley continues to torture her in the hopes that she will assist him in locating the Rippers, who are hidden in the wastelands. The torture includes sliding Rebecca down into a long pipe until she becomes stuck with the intention of inducing claustrophobia. However, Kesley's dastardly attempts to force Rebecca to bend to his will are unsuccessful, and Rebecca remains openly defiant. Not long after, the mysterious Rippers slaughter guards at the WNP compound, but manage to escape before Kesley and his men can catch them. Kesley uses Tank Girl as bait to lure the Rippers into the open, but the mysterious marauders avoid capture and seriously wound Kesley. During the battle, Rebecca and Jet Girl manage to escape with Jet Girl stealing a water and power jet and Rebecca stealing a tank. Rebecca proceeds to go by the name Tank Girl because she's just that uncreative. And ultimately, she massively upgrades her tank. The two women encounter the eccentric subgirl and learn that Sam is working at a sex club called Liquid Silver. Jet and Tank Girl infiltrate the club, and Tank Girl manages to save Sam from Ratface, a mutant pedophile. Tank Girl humiliates the club's 
high-end owner, the Madam, by making her sing Cole Porter's Let's Do It. The Madam's performance is interrupted by water and power troops who recapture Sam. Tank Girl and Jet Girl wander the desert looking for the Ripper's hideout, hoping that they will help them. Eventually, they discover a group of human-kangaroo hybrid men who identify themselves as Rippers. Tank Girl learns that the Rippers were created by a man named Johnny Prophet. Tank Girl befriends one Ripper by the name of Booga, while Jet Girl takes interest in a Ripper named Donner. However, one of the other Rippers, T-Saint, remains suspicious of the girls and argues that they could be water and power spies. Nevertheless, the Ripper's leader, DT, sends Tank Girl and Jet Girl out to capture a shipment of weapons, which he believes will prove their loyalties. The girls are successful and bring the weapons crates back, although most of them are empty. However, they do find the dead body of Johnny Prophet inside one of the containers, which leads Tank Girl and the Rippers to realize that they have been deceived by water and power. A short time later, Tank Girl, Jet Girl, and the Rippers sneak into the water and power headquarters. Tank Girl intends to free Sam. However, the entire group is ambushed by water and power forces. Kesley, whose body has been reconstructed by a cybernetic surgeon named Chestai, or Chitai, whatever, played by James Hong, but at least his voice, reveals that Tank Girl has unknowingly been bugged the entire time. DT sacrifices himself and damages the water and power generator, which turns out the lights for most of the facility. The Rippers use the darkness to their advantage and begin to overwhelm the water and power forces. Jet Girl kills Sergeant Small, a water and power officer who has who was sexually harassing her earlier in the film, and Kesley reveals to Tank Girl that Sam has been placed in the pipe, which is slowly filling up with water. Tank Girl kills Kesley and saves a young girl from drowning. The film ends with an animated sequence showing water starting to flow freely. Tank Girl drives down a series of rapids with Booga on water skis being pulled behind, and the two go over waterfall while simultaneously shouting for joy. And that is Tank Girl. All right. Chad, do you have any numbers on Tank Girl? Uh, yep, I sure do. Not very many, but I'll see what I can do here. So, Tank Girl was released on March 31st, 1995 in 1,341 theaters. It earned $2 million eighteen thousand dollars on that fateful night no fucking way no fucking (laughs) yep uh so it was number 10 number 10 ladies and gentlemen for the weekend it was just behind man of the house in its fifth week in theaters pulp fiction in its 25th week in theaters and just ahead of tall tale in its second week, and Born to be Wild in its debut weekend. The number one movie at the box office that weekend was a debut as well. It's a little comedy called Tommy Boy, which earned $8 million that weekend. Uh, Let's see. During its alleged 39-week run, Tank Girl earned a whopping $4,064,000 on a approximate $25 million budget. Uh, let's see, it was the 171st ranked movie at the box office for 1995. It was just behind Angus and National Lampoon's Senior Trip and just ahead of Fluke and Patrick's all-time favorite cartoon film, The Pebble and the Penguin. 
I've seen that. <laughs> which Jesus. which is sad. I've actually seen all of those. <laughs> uh, Fluke yeah. and Angus as well. Oh, shit. Can't oh, say shit. I like okay. any of them. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway. Let's see here. The Internet Movie Database is giving this movie a 5.3 out of 10. 81% of the Google robots liked this movie. I hate those goddamn robots. Uh, let's see. Metacritic gives it a 46%. And Shane Adam Bassett's uh, employers at Rotten Tomatoes, uh, the critic score is a 40%, and the audience score is 63%. And um, the only other thing I want to say is I have a stack of books here at the MHM Podcast Network offices, and they're all about bad movies and horrible movies, and I can't find this one any of in any of those books. But we'll get to that later as to why we think that's wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the tale of the tape for this movie. All right, so Tank Girl, based on a comic book, uh, was initially published in Deadline magazine in little comic book strip vignettes more than just a, a simple comic strip but not quite a full book usually two or three pages of or possibly even four pages of story not interconnected because this is cinema day comic book i wanted to go back and look at the material my understanding uh, is that the film itself is not based on any individual story uh, and i want to kind of get a, a a feel for tank girl uh, the, the book I got was a, a kind of a culmination of all the strips from 1988 to 1990. And uh, as uh, trying not to get too far into the film with this, uh, they are very nonsensical. Uh, the best way I could describe it is somebody was writing a comic book for their uh, for a comic strip for their college newspaper and thought they were much more clever than they really were. Uh, and because that's kind of the feel I get for it, um, uh, the the creators, I my understanding, were all British. Had it take place in Australia, which is why I presume that Shane wanted to review this film. Unfortunately, could not be here today to review it because, <laughs> and it did not film in Australia, uh, which was much to my surprise. It filmed in White Sands, New Mexico, and. Tucson, Arizona, where I'm from. So I was going to say, it was right up the street from you, so why don't you tell me, compare and contrast uh, how you recognize Arizona today as compared to when this movie was filmed, and we don't have to talk about the rest of the movie. So I, I, I am presuming that these interiors were filmed in Tucson someplace, <laughs> because the sand desert is not Tucson. And we, okay. I mean, we have cactus and scrub brush, so uh, the, I, I did distinctly can see the white sands element for most of the film but uh the, this was not this is not a uh, the a, the film i th i thought it was going to be as far as remembering uh when i read that it was filmed around tucson i was like i remember more desolate deserts and i was i was correct in remembering that um but it's you know it, as i said it was the interiors i would assume were filmed at some building someplace around tucson but Shane, another connection with my Australian brother, his, the film that takes place in Australia actually filmed in Tucson, Arizona. But all right. Uh, but yeah, the comic book is non, as I said, nonsensical. I mean, it's just you got a rebellious character who just goes by Tank Girl. And at no point in anything that I read, is there any mention of Rebecca Buck? You know, it's just 
who she is. Head shaved, um, likes to have sex with kangaroo men, <laughs> kind of a bounty hunter. Initially, she's working for a government agency, but she kind of betrays them, and they want to kill her. And that, as I said, gets kind of dropped by the next story. Uh, and you know, and there's there's no connect interconnectedness to most of the stories. But but I digress. I don't think you. Uh, went and tracked down any of the Tank Girl books, correct, Chad? No, I just looked pictures on the... This damn microphone and I are going to have issues one day. Uh, no, I just mainly looked at some pictures on the internet. I didn't seek out uh, the actual books or comic strips or anything for this one. They're just based off of the movie and what I knew about the movie, that was painful enough. Um, <laughs> and I've heard from friends of mine, mainly you, uh, that it was painful going through the comic strips. Um, so I didn't ever touch any of it. Yeah, you were smart. <laughs> so, Tank Girl, the film. Chad, I I will let you start. Why don't you open the can of, you know, uh, whoop-ass on this particular film? Oh, okay. So let me start on this one. Um, this may have been one of the most boring movies I ever watched in my life. I had to break it into two sections, I think 45 and 45 roughly, because the story I can appreciate. We've seen similar stories before, like uh, Mad Max or 2 or The Road Warrior, similar thing with Waterworld where you have, you know, post-apocalypse, uh, something happened, meteorite, whatever in hell. A lot of sand, a lot of bullshit where there's not a lot of water, so people are looking for water. But I'm going to put it point blank. None of the characters are interesting. Lori Petty, who I somewhat can appreciate from Point Blank, or Point Break, excuse me, not Point Blank, Point Break, because I love that movie. I gave her a little bit of credit, but she is so goddamn boring in this movie that I don't even get why anybody likes her in this or finds her interesting. All of her jokes are go over like a fart in church. They're boring. They're her facial expressions. Yeah, she she pulls off being wacko very well, but nothing she does is funny. And there's supposed to be a shit ton of humor into this movie, and and none of it is funny at all. It just dies. And then the story is lame. Where okay, you got the group of people who are still alive in this post uh, or whatever meteor society they're all looking for water you got the water and power searching for the people who have the water and yada 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 but it's like who gives a shit i mean there's really no you don't feel any empathy for anybody either good or bad the story's lame then we get down to she gets captured and then runs into naomi watts who god bless you naomi for making a career after this piece of shit movie She's not really that interesting, but then we get into the kangaroo people, the rippers, or whatever in the hell they're called, and they just look like humans in bad kangaroo costumes. And it's like nothing about this is even remotely entertaining. I say nothing is funny, nothing is interesting. So that's where I'll start my whoop-ass, and I'll let you go from there. Well, it has Naomi Watts, who I didn't realize it was Naomi Watts. I was like, God, that actress looks really familiar. And I'm sitting there trying to place her. And then I had to look up on IMDb when I watched it. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's Naomi Watts. I'm like, this predates Mulholland Drive by, like, you know, several years. And 
Uh, obviously, she had a career in Australia before she translated it over to uh, the the United States. But I was like, oh my god! You know, much of your thought, her career survived this. Good for her. <laughs> so, because she's a, obviously a much more talented actress than what she was playing in Tank Girl. Uh, you're much more generous to Lori Petty. I, I have a long history of not liking Lori Petty in many many films. You know, the films that were a success despite Lori Petty being in them, such as Point Break or A League of Their Own. Yeah. Uh, but I, I've never really cared for her that much as an actress. And although I will say, based off my reading of the comic strip of Tank Girl, I think she captures the kind of the, the character of, the, the, of Tank Girl pretty well. And a lot of that is kind of how I perceive her personality. You know, she's a little bit over the top and that I think that was what was needed for the role. So I think she's perfectly cast for Tank Girl. I just don't give a shit for the fucking character, you know, so that that ultimately is the the the, the fault of the film is that I don't I can't stand the character. And I and I wonder God damn, how hungry was Malcolm McDowell that month that he said, yeah, I'll do Tank Girl or, you know, Naomi Watts was up and coming. But Ice-T, I'm like, shit, you were just in New Jack City a couple of years before this. Why the fuck did you do this fucking film where they put you in kangaroo makeup? You know, that really just didn't make much sense to me. You know, and I guess the person who I gave the most props to as I watched this was Don Harvey as uh, Sergeant Small. I mean, he's always played the perfect asshole in most of the movies and TV shows he was in, and he did really well in this. I mean, he's a little bit too cartoonish, but he at least got through it, and he didn't ruin his reputation. And I, he's now doing more and more bigger things on other networks, uh, TV shows on HBO and such. But he's the only one I really appreciate it because I'm like you, Ice-T. Here's a guy who's super, super famous in the rap world and getting into the acting world. And as you said, did, um, yeah, you just said it, New Jack City. I mean, he was huge in that. And this is just such shit. I mean, Reggie Cathy, who I love in uh, The Wire and in Oz and so many other shows, he's almost unrecognizable if you didn't know his voice you wouldn't know he's one of these cartoon dudes or kangaroo dudes but he's so i feel bad for him because he has a death scene that is so bad it's one of the worst death scenes i've ever seen in cinema history i just feel bad for all the people in this movie because i don't get what they were thinking i mean yeah malcolm you recognize you recognize him as Malcolm McDowell as you would in any other Malcolm McDowell type movie, but he just took this for a paycheck because he's a working actor. It's a piece of shit all the way around. I just don't get what anybody was trying to get out of these people other than just giving them money to put something on a screen. Yeah. You know, I, I agree with you. Everybody who's in the kangaroo makeup, I, it's like they're, they're, you're not recognizable. And, but for knowing their act, their, their voices, you wouldn't know who they were. And Malcolm McDowell, I will say, plays the film like Malcolm McDowell, you know, and I don't yeah. think he has really a grasp of the kind of the tongue in cheek that the film and the comic strip are supposed to entail that little bit over the topness. And, and I know that's weird for me to say 
Malcolm McDowell is not playing it over the top because shit in his later career, including a home alone movie, he was playing a lot of shit over the top, (laughs) but uh, you know, he, he just, he's almost too reserved in this film in contrast to Lori Petty, who's just literally almost a, well, she's supposed to be a comic book character. I mean, she's just bouncing off the walls with kind of who this character is. And he's just like, you know, playing it like he's playing it like a a dramatic role. And it just, to me, it just doesn't fit the kind of the feel of the rest of the film. Not that I like the feel of the rest of the film either. I really, really don't like the tone. I don't like the theme. I don't like the kind of zaniness of it. Uh, but I, it just, he doesn't seem to fit this film. I I actually give, uh, after watching him in this, I give Dennis Hopper in the Super Mario Brothers movie a lot more credit for his terrible acting in that one than I did a Malcolm in this one because Malcolm just seemed very out of place. Like he was just doing a caricature of Malcolm McDowell than he was a actual character uh, that he's supposed to be representing. It just seemed really, really weird uh, how he just didn't really seem to want to get into the comic book spirit of things the way almost everybody else did in trying to be over the top, as you mentioned. But another thing that really bothered me about this was, I don't know who wrote the screenplay for this and directed and produced all this stuff. And I really don't care because I feel bad for those people's existence, but you could just tell that they were stealing from star Wars. You could tell they were stealing from the movie phantasm with the orbs that like stab people. You could tell they were stealing from die hard and how walking on glass, you know, you could tell they were stealing from uh, eventually from Harley Quinn because it just seemed like Tank Girl was somewhat like a Harley Quinn character. Um, it just seemed like a lot of the stuff in this film I had seen before, but done in much, much better ways. Well, it, it was Sorry. directed by Rachel Talele, and oh. I know her more. I Actually, I know her as a director of Doctor Who episodes, and I was kind of surprised uh, that she directed this, you know, that she she didn't have a lot of film credits. She did a lot of television work. Um, unfortunately, most of the television work seems to have followed directly after Tank Girl. <laughs> uh, as far as writers, I mean, they had the they had credited as the comic strip writers Alan Martin, Jamie Howlett, and and then I think the the uh, writer was Teddy Seraphine, uh, who I'm unfamiliar with, but the, I guess. Whoever I don't know if that's a female or male had a story credit for Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines, which I did actually like that one. But uh, there was a lot of like lesser known talent at this time, and I kind of wonder, you know, because the the timing of the release of this is, you know, this is, you know, just last month we reviewed The Crow, uh, released mm-hmm. in 1994. So this is a year later, you know, kind of late in the year, and the. Did they were they looking for obscure comic book, you know, storylines for them to to make films out of? Because the Crow was a mild success. Uh, it wasn't a, a you know blocks office bonanza, but it you know the the obviously they couldn't grab onto Marvel and DC properties. DC was owned by Warner Brothers. Marvel was in a bankrupt. I don't think they were starting bankruptcy around 1995, uh, so there was a lot of turmoil of what rights they could get. So let's go get lesser talent lesser known items and but and they end up with tank girl which I, once again 
I can't imagine, and maybe I'm just not getting it. I just can't imagine why this captured the zeitgeist of anybody during that time to let alone have a continue to make comic books to this fucking day about tank girl. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I mean, you'll read all over the internet how this is like a big feminist movie movie and the feminist movement. I can get that. Yeah. I see that, but I've seen better stories that, that further a feminist movement than this. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. It's like, I can't see how, other than the fact she's a strong woman who will fight back against anybody and anything for her, whatever her purpose is at the time. And the same with jet girl. It's like, I can't see why anybody would want to recognize themselves with this character other than her strength and her goofiness and her not trying to conform to the norms of even that society. I just don't see how anybody can grasp onto this material at all it is so dull and there's no real bite in any way shape or form this isn't like a superman story where you have an alien living on earth and trying to masquerade as a human and trying to go through those turmoils or even uh wonder woman who's from paradise island and she's here in the united states trying to help fight evil and all that and masquerade as a government agent and yada 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 and as a strong woman fighting against mainly men who are doing evil, this character just seems like she's just a goof who's going along for the ride through life. And it has no real substance to it. She's just a cartoon character. who I, I know it's a comic strip, but she's just like a cartoon character. Who's got no real purpose in my opinion. It's, there's no motivation to her other than she's just almost Forrest Gumping her way through the movie <laughs> and just hitting this and hitting that. And okay, we're at the end. Bye. Well, what it, it, the idea that this is a feminist movement because the female it's a strong female character. Tank Girl succeeds despite herself. You know that mm-hmm. she's self-destructive and she's oppositional for the sake of being oppositional and lux into being saved at multiple different points throughout the entirety of the film, you know, including she, and and there's a lot of failure here too. Sam is kidnapped. Her boyfriend is killed at the beginning. She saves Sam and then loses Sam again. Uh, So she's you know, that as I said, she could have, you know, she could have escaped with Sam, but she had to stop and fucking make the madam sing a fucking song and then water and power abduct Sam again. So that's a failure on our part. I, you know, there is much more, you know, I would say pro feminist characters in the comic book world, including wonder woman or captain Marvel in, in films we've seen since now. I, I know in yep. the nineties they weren't making those, but that I don't see necessary. And especially looking at the comic book, I don't necessarily think that. And, and once again, I've read a small cross-section of the entire history of tank girl i mean as i said they continue to write tank girl comics to this day Uh, i read a section of uh, about two years worth uh i i don't see it as a strong female character i see the character in the film very similar as what i've seen in the 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 book i have which is i'm going to be oppositional just to fuck with people and she does you know she does what she wants when she wants and she's not told what to do by anyone Uh, and that's very similar to the character in the film 
Although I would say they toned it down a little bit because she has a boyfriend in the film to start it. She kind of, it's kind of implied she has a boyfriend by the end of the film. Tank Girl and the the comic strips I read never had a consistent boyfriend presence. She had kangaroo men that she slept with. That was it. So uh, it's, it's kind of curious that, you know, that, that they say, Hey, this is a strong, you know, feminist film. Yeah. It, you could find better ones, you know, they they exist out there. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hang my hat on this because if this furthers the feminist movement, I, I, that's, that's a sad state for it. Yeah. Oh, and one other thing I want, you brought up the big musical number in the middle of the movie yeah, where they played Cole, Cole Porter. So I'm very familiar with Cole Porter's music because I grew up or I was born and grew up in the same town that he was born in. Um, so he, when you're growing up in the same town as an icon, you sort of have to learn about them in some way, shape or form. Um, I'm not a big fan, but I'm very familiar with the music and everything. So when they started going into that number with his music playing and everything, I was like, Oh, this could actually be one of those very iconic or memorable moments of this cult film that everybody would talk about or remember, even if the rest of the movie was shit. And I, by the time it was all done, I was like, they just wasted millions of dollars creating that scene. And it even went over like a fart in church. (laughs) It was so goddamn boring. And the look on Lori Petty's face throughout the whole thing is like, uh, she just looked like she didn't, I don't know if it was trying to be the character was dumbfounded and just was going through the motions because she was supposed to or what, but it's like, have some kind of emote, throw some kind of emotion into it. Like you're having some fun. You're supposed to be a goofy, strong character, but she just looked like she was just in the scene. And then when I went back to read about how they made the scene, it seems like the editors and the producers in the studio cut down probably half of that goddamn scene because they hated it so much and just got it in the film because they had spent so much money to make it. And I felt bad for everybody who put that scene together because it should have been one of those big weird musical numbers that you'll see in certain movies that are good or bad that you'll remember forever and make it cult and memorable. And this one just was horrible. And it just was a perfect example of, or perfectly represented this whole movie, actually. Well, once again, I will point out that they came there to save Sam, and they didn't. (laughs) Yeah. But as far as writing the film, the the Water and Power had Sam, apparently sold her to child prostitution, and then came back and abducted her again. For what Mm -hmm. fucking purpose? You know, it's you could have, just to, to save that sequence just kept her in the grips of water and power and they could have used that as something to kind of mold a tank girl to their will by threatening her in some capacity, which is what they ultimately do, but they had her to start with. So I never, I mean, as I said, there was a lot of things that I just didn't understand writing wise. Why did you do this other than you wanted to throw in this random musical number to be cute and clever. Uh, and, And as I said, the, the comic strip is that's the way it's kind of is. It's just got a randomness to like, what could, what would be the bizarrest thing we could do right now? I know we could do a musical number and I would not be surprised. That's, that's what they, that, that's how they approach the film because it's, it's very similar to that. 
Yeah, yeah. Random is the perfect word for this movie. It's like everything just seems super, super random. And like they were trying to put different bit parts of a comic book or comic strip together to make a whole movie. And unfortunately, the whole and the sum of the parts all sucked ass. (laughs) All right. Well, I think we've said everything that needs to be said. So on a scale of one to five, do you consider this a bad one or a high five? This is a burnt popcorn one, in my opinion. This left the worst taste in my mouth in movies that were supposed to be major motion picture movies in a long time. I hated this shit. It was terrible. I, you know, like I said, I had to break it into two settings and be and torture myself over two nights just to get through this stupid thing. It was really, really bad. And then I was really, really pissed off, like I said earlier, that I go through my Razzie manual. I have a a book on the Razzie Awards, and this thing wasn't nominated for any Razzie Awards. I was pissed off at the Razzies, which aren't really all that credible. I was pissed off it wasn't part of it. I went through a book I have of nothing but bad movies. It's called the Bad Movie Bible, really, and it wasn't in there. I'm like, this is the perfect example of a shitty movie that should be in all these books and talked about like The Room and any other movie out there that people consider horrible. This should be in that category because it is that goddamn bad. Yeah, uh, you're being generous and giving it one star. (laughs) I'm giving it half a star um, because it at least had an ending, and I was uh, glad to be there. I am just besides myself. I I saw this. I didn't catch this in the theater. I saw this on VHS when it came out. I watched it once and I forgot it. And I understand why I forgot it because <laughs> I, 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 there was nothing really to remember this film by. I, you know, I, I, as I said, I was not a big fan of Laurie Petty in the day. Uh, so that's not a, that's not going to bring me to the audience or to the film. Uh, I liked Ice T. I liked him. I mean, as I said, he made some decent films shortly before this one. Uh, I'm assuming this is what led him to his television career on SVU. But he's <laughs> like, wait, I don't have to wear a fucking kangaroo mask. I'm I'm good. That's great. That's I'll just play detective for the next 20 years. But uh, you know, it's I I I was so uninterested in the film. I was counting the time. Uh, you know, and then reading the gra- I watched the film and then I read the gra- start reading well, it's not even a graphic novel that's giving it too much credit it's it's a companion uh, or a compendium of uh, the various little shorts for a couple of years and uh I, I they were they were a chore to get through they literally were I did not enjoy reading them at all and I know that that people out there say, well, you're a man and that's why you didn't like it. Well, okay. Uh, that, uh, you know, I, I like, you know, wonder a good wonder woman story. You know, I, you know, I like strong female characters. I don't think this is a strong female character. This is just chaos in comic book form. And, and as I said, she succeeds despite herself, you know, she should be failing. She should, you know, she should get killed, you know, in multiple places and she just lucks out. And that's, to me, that's not a strong female character. That's a lucky female, female character who eventually her luck will wear out and they will get killed. But, uh, I would have loved to have seen a second one of these films where they killed tank girl and that, that I would have showed up for, you know, mowed down all the freaking kangaroo men too i i I don't and ice tea probably would have appreciated that so but no i i I did not enjoy it 
don't intend on watching it and I very much will be getting rid of the Tank Girl book. It's not one that I want to put on my shelf and, and revisit somewhere down the road, unlike some of the other films like Watchmen and 300 and The Crow. Those books I, and graphic novels I've really appreciated and I'll, I'll go back and revisit and even encourage my kids to read at some point in time. This one is a forgettable one for me. No, I was just going to say, I must agree. I want to forget about this movie forever, except I will tell people to not watch it and say it's a piece of shit for the rest of my life. So, period. <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for our review of Tank Girl. Please let us know what you think of the film in the comments section. And for our listeners over on MovieHouseMemories.com, please rate it from one to five stars on the page as well. Half star. That's what I'm saying. Half star. That's where it should be. If you've enjoyed today's review, please don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, the MHN Podcast Network, where we have many, many more film reviews from yesterday, today, and beyond. Well, that does it for this episode of Movie House Concessions. Until next time, I'm Patrick. I'm Chad, and I'm hopping my ass out of here. And this concession stand is now closed. podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The song Rock On Bretta is brought to you by Marwan Nimra at Nintentine.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Movie House Concessions, the MHN Podcast Network, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment LLC unless otherwise noted. 